Welcome to Generation Tech. It is Monday, the 22nd of February. We are now one-sixth, or almost one-sixth of the way. I guess we're a week away from being one-sixth of the way through the year uh, as we chug on into 2021. How are you doing today, Dad? Doing good, Todd. Good to hear you. I guess voice. I should say I'm Todd Brinker. I'm joined, as always, by my dad, Jack Brinker. I should yeah. introduce us a little better than just a, how you doing? <laughs> yeah. I, uh, We're casual. We're all friends here. Yeah, I just uh, remembered uh, now that uh, uh, that we're just getting started that I, I spoke with Marcelo last week, and I promised to send him a link to our uh, our talks. Aha. Uh-huh. Uh, but I just forgot to do it until I'm now it just popped into my mind. So yeah. I, as soon as I'm done with this, I got to do that. Yeah, Marcelo was an exchange student that lived with you um, uh, when he was in high school, and he's now in his what forties and has kids. And what do you mean? He's probably 50s. creeping up on fifty. Is he? Is he in the fifties yeah. now? Yeah, he's. I guess he is. Age. Yeah, I guess. To- yeah, he's the same age as my my youngest brother and sister, and they're they're in their fifties. So he must be right. Man, he got old. Yep. <laughs> yeah, he's talking as about, as I creep know, up on my sixties. Yeah, he's talking about his kids being. In college or out of college. Mm-hmm. You know? So. Yep. Yep. Time flies. Time yep. flies. So um, I sent you some links on some different things going on in the world. Apparently, uh, people are wondering what's going on. You know, they always, people, people who watch Apple watch and look for like little things to see if anything's going on. And they noticed that the LG 5K ultra fine display, which is what Apple tells people to buy unless they want to buy the $5,000, um, you know, studio monitor display that they sell with their, with their, uh, Mac pro is, mm-hmm. uh, it's a $1,300 display has been pulled from the Apple Store. It's no longer in the Apple Store in several European countries, including France, Germany, Germany, Italy, the Netherlands, and the UK. And people are wondering aloud if this is a sign that maybe Apple is going to launch an Apple display that is not $5,000 without the stand, 6000 if you want the stand. Because um, let's face it, there's a whole bunch of people out there who went, uh, you're kidding me, right? I mean, that $5,000 display, it's a 32-inch Pro Display XDR, is exactly what you need if you're doing movie or television editing because you need a color-corrected monitor, and that, and it's exactly what you need. It's perfect. But yeah. say yeah. if you're a programmer, you know, there's other professionals, right? There's people who are prof- professionals that use their computers, and, and having a high-end computer is of great value to them. But having a $6,000 computer in front of them is of zero value to them. They just want to monitor so they can see what they're doing. <laughs> yeah. But they would like one that maybe matches their computer, has an Apple design aesthetic and Apple quality value. So uh, um, you, 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 you said $5,000, though. And I the Apple... No, I didn't misspoke, mis- misspeak. The Apple 32-inch Pro Display XDR is $4,999. If you want the non-glare screen, it's $5,999, and neither of those models come with a stand, which is an additional $1,000. Okay, that's an Apple uh, system. Apple-branded monitor. That's the only monitor that Apple currently sells. Okay. And so the the thought is that if they quit, if they're no longer selling this LG uh, 4 and 5K displays through their store that maybe they will be introducing their own Apple-branded monitors that are 
somewhat downline from the five and six thousand dollar monitors they currently sell and something that's more in the you know thirteen hundred to to two thousand dollar range for those who want to buy an apple branded display but don't need that really high end uh capabilities of the 32 inch pro display xdr which is what they currently sell i got you yeah no, there's been a lot. Apple people criticize Apple for like, you know, I buy an Apple stuff because I like Apple's design aesthetic. It's not just because it's it does what it's supposed to do. It's, you know, I want it to be an Apple thing. And then you buy a, uh, you know, a Mac mini and you've got to set it in front of or if you buy a laptop and plug it into a bigger monitor, you've got to use somebody else's monitor. And he says, and that's what you see is this ugly monitor and plastic case from somebody else <laughs> as opposed to the really nice, you know, Apple stuff. And it's like, yeah. OK, fine. You know. I think a lot of people don't care, but I think there's probably a lot of people who do care, and Apple's leaving money on the table. So maybe Apple will be coming back into that market. Because they used to sell a monitor. Yeah. Well, they used to sell an Apple-branded monitor that was just a, you know, I mean, there wasn't anything about that monitor that was significantly better than anybody else's monitor. It was just Apple-branded and, you know, wrapped in Apple design aesthetic. Um, Okay. You know, and and they got out of that business because they basically said we're not adding any value to the to the monitor world. And uh, and when they came back in, they came in with this Pro Display XDR, which is arguably competitor a competitor to some thirty thousand dollar monitors used in the TV and movie industry, where they want you know perfect color re- uh, rendering, uh, and it's and and that way they can make sure you know when you when when your business is putting out professional quality video, you need that kind of monitor. Um, and, it, you know, in that world, a $5,000 monitor is cheap. But mm-hmm. if you want a Mac Pro because you need to do, you know, some, some high-end compiling because you're a professional programmer and that's the fastest computer you can get, do you really need a $5,000 screen to just seek some code on a screen? Probably not. <laughs> Although, frankly, I would argue that you'd probably get by just fine buying a 4K TV and sticking it in front of you, you know. But uh, that's me. That's you right. Know? Yeah, and there are those who would argue that I'm insane. That's not nearly as good as the 5K monitors or the 6K, you know, Pro monitors. Or the, you the, know, I was like, the, well, the, yeah, you're right. The only the only time you need that stuff is if you're not really just doing uh, text kind of work. You're doing video or picture work, where the picture's all that matters. You know, I mean, that's yeah, that's the real difference. Well, that's the excuse for the six thousand dollar computer or the monitor is is that yeah. Yeah, you're doing video work, and it has to be color perfect, and you have to get perfect rendering, you know, because everything's going to be a downgrade from there, right? But, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, that, and, well, and that's the point that a lot of people have made is is that hey, you know, if I'm a programmer and I want to go buy a Mac Pro computer because I need the the fastest computer to do what I'm doing, I don't need a five thousand dollar monitor. I can work with any monitor, and I would like it to be one that matches my, you know, ten thousand dollar computer. So yeah. Apple. You know, so I don't know. We'll see if Apple. They may be pulling them. They may be being pulled from the store just because LG's short of supply right now, or they may be being pulled from the store because Apple's getting ready to replace them with something else. It's really hard to say. You know, I mean, there's you know, really no clues here. You, you, you know, you you got to take a, a look at how these things really affect uh, you personally, uh, because <clears throat> basically, uh, as far as computer displays and and all this kinds of stuff. One could argue that 10 years ago you had something that was totally adequate, you know? Yeah. I mean, it, it worked, you know, 
And yeah. the thing the thing about it is is that then but but now if you go back and look at something ten years ago, you would find it totally unacceptable just right. because there's been that much advance. And and until you see them side by side with something else, you know, uh, you gotta you, you you question the value. You know, why why am I why am I going after something even better yet, you know? Right. Um, the average person would probably probably uh, see some difference in this five thousand dollar one, yeah. but they probably wouldn't see five thousand dollars worth of difference, you know. <laughs> well, that's the issue, right? Is like, what's the the value proposition, you know? Because, um, you know, for most people, a four K or a five K display is, like you said, light years ahead of what they were using just ten years ago. Um, the idea being that when you look at the screen, you don't see any dots at all. It looks like it's just a piece of paper printed in front of you. Um, and, and it's you know, big. I mean, you're talking big screens now, too. Well, generally, they're big screens. Yeah, generally, they're big screens. But I mean, you know, uh, I for a long time didn't use didn't even have a, a laptop that had the 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 4K display on it. I now my, my I guess I've had it. It's a 2015 laptop, and I got it as a as a refurb in 2016 or something like that. So I've had it like four or five years now. Um, but even then, going back and forth between that and and the older non Retina displayed uh, laptops to me it wasn't that big of a deal on yeah. a laptop size display. But yeah, when yeah. you get it up in the big the you know the the 27 to and above inch displays. Um, you can see the difference. I mean, you know, it's there, there's no doubt about it. And a lot of it has to do with, like, the thickness of lines rendering in text. You know, if they line up a certain way, the line looks thicker. And if it happens to line up in between pixels, then the line is represented thinner. And so you look at text, and it, and, and there will be parts, you know, it'll look like the some parts are heavier and some parts are, are, are finer lines drawn in places. And if you just take your, your uh, browser window with some text on it and slide it back and forth to the right... You can see lines getting thinner and thicker on on even 4K screens. So, you know, yeah. I mean, that's why Apple went to the 5K screen on their iMac. So presumably, if they were to make a standalone monitor, they would just take that screen from the iMac and say, that'll be the screen that you can buy as a standalone screen if you want uh, without mm-hmm. the computer in it. So that way you can have a, you know, you can do it as a separate computer with a mini or you can do it as a built-in computer with an iMac. Uh, right. And, of course, the iMac's probably going to be changing because they're going to come out with the M1 iMac. So now's probably not a bad time to ramp up production of both. Um, so, yeah, we'll see what happens. I, I wouldn't be a bit surprised if Apple does come out with a an Apple-branded non-pro screen, you know, just a, mm-hmm. a standard screen that people can buy to work with their minis and with their Mac Pros if they decide they don't, uh, you know, they would like the the computer, but they don't want to spend another six thousand dollars on a <laughs> on a monitor and the stand. You got to get the stand. Don't forget the stand. You know. Yeah. yeah. This is from the company well, that'll sell you four wheels for your computer for a thousand dollars too. So you know. But you but you can also hang these things on a wall too, and you know. Yeah, yeah, and that's what a lot of professionals do anyway. I mean, especially if you're uh, you know in the movie industry and stuff. A lot of this stuff is mounted on carts, and so they're you know it's it's a Visa display attached to uh, a cart or a wall, so they can or a cart, so they can wheel it around and position it where they want it, um, right? And then and then you can you know move it up or down. I mean, I'm sitting in front of a monitor that's mounted to the wall here in my office, um, you know, and that just clears up space underneath the monitor, so I can have a little bit more desk space. Um, yeah, even my cruddy old 1024 
old, old, old bought, used for $25 at a rummage sale monitor. <laughs> but, you know, it's, it's like 27 inch, I think, monitor. Uh-huh. Uh, but it's just old. And I've been thinking about hanging that on the wall. But I, I was thinking just while you were talking about this, I really got it all backwards. I, right in front of it, I've got the uh, iPad that I got from you, which has probably got uh, five times the resolution of the one of the 10, 40, 24 or four times maybe. Uh, mm-hmm. That, But it's it's a fourth the size. So, you know, you're supposed to have more resolution on the bigger the bigger the screen. Yeah, exactly. You've got it exactly backwards. So, <laughs> but yet, I, which I is, you know, old, I mean, it. And I've sat in here and watched movies on that old screen and have had mm-hmm. no complaints at all, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's like I sit here looking at a 4K screen and I can play movies on the 4K screen, but just to my left, I have a 1080p television that's mounted sort of in the corner of the room and they're, you know, less than a foot apart from each other on the two, you know, closest edges. And when I look over at the TV that's not 4K, it's like, looks fine to me. I mean, it's not a huge television set. It's a 30-inch or 32-inch or something like that. So it's not a big TV. Um, yeah. But, you know, it's just I can have a television on here in the shack if I want, you know, have a have a ball game on or whatever or some show while I'm, you know, busy doing my thing. Yeah. So. But, by the way, I, uh, uh, I don't know if you get consumer reports or, or not, but... I do. Uh, yeah, I don't. And 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 they, the latest issue had a uh, co- best computers, laptop mm-hmm. computers, and I was just sure that says, oh, Apple's M1's got to be at the top of the list. Well, the, mm-hmm. of Apple laptops, it's the best, you know, the M1, but not mm-hmm. overall best. It was a Dell. So I went and looked at, and and did the reading and figured out the basis for selecting the Dell over the uh, other MacBook because just about all of the physical uh, things were about the same, with the exception that you had all these plugs that you could put, you, you could plug in USB and stuff in mm-hmm. uh, the Dell, and you couldn't on the Mac. And and the other biggie was you couldn't play this game because it wouldn't even work on the M1. <laughs> right. And I laughed about that because I also uh, had read your article here where there was mm-hmm. a an actual two levels of of emulation running on the M1 where they could run uh, anything that ran on Windows uh, through an emulator that was actually running in an emulator on the on the M1. <laughs> mm-hmm. So that's what I meant by two levels of emulation. Right. And and it worked just fine. Now I don't know if you can buy this game to run in Windows, but I thought to myself, oh, you still you can run that. You just have to have yeah. this this emulator and app yeah. to run it on. Yeah, that to be honest, that's the reason I don't get consumer reports. At one time I did and I don't get them because I very often disagree with the criteria by which they judge. And yeah. so, you know, if if they don't use the right criteria, then their then their valuations of things are worthless to me. And I've seen mm-hmm. them do that so much with things that I know about that it makes me mistrust the things that I don't know about in terms of how well they pick the right criteria to judge them there, you know? And so it yeah. just threw a, threw shade on on their entire existence and reason for being. And I have since found that um, a review site that I prefer to them is one called The Wire Cutter. So if you go to thewirecutter.com, dot com, you can do that. And they they have reviews on all kinds of stuff, and uh, and they very clearly explain their criteria. And I tend to like their criteria better and use that as a 
as a touchstone. Plus, you don't have to subscribe. I use that as sort of a touchdown for like if I want to get something in an area where I don't already have expertise. Um, although I tend to be a researcher, so I use that as a starting point, see what they picked and why they picked it. And then I go and look at and do my own research and then decide whether or not I want something. But, um, but I find that to be a better source for, you know, the, that solution. I know there's lots of people who still use consumer reports as sort of their, their starting point. Um, but for me, they're just too often they were doing things like that saying, well, we, we didn't pick it because, you know, you can't even play this game over there. And I'm going like, I could care less whether I played a game. So to me, that then elevates your, the one you didn't pick in a big way. Well, see, but it, you, you know, see, you see, I think the, the, the problem with consumer reports is that, uh, they aren't specialized in any one area. They're very broad right. and there is a, therefore as a consequence, they, they're, you know, they can only have so many researchers, but if they're researching a hundred different classes of items, that means mm -hmm. they better have a specialist for every one of those. And they, and you generally yeah. don't want to put, put all your marbles on one person. You should have right. a group of four or five people who can, can have right. And that seems to, to be the take things. that the wire cutter takes is they tend to get a group of people who understand that particular area and then they do their reviews. And yeah. so there's, you know, they, to so, me, I don't know. They just seem more in alignment with what, what I agree with. And so that's why I like them. Um, you know, that you, said, you like, I don't, dis, I like don't disagree with, huh? <laughs> yeah, well, I don't disagree with said, their, <laughs> their analysis at all that you're right. When the, the Mac machines don't have enough ports, somehow somebody yeah. in, a, it was, in a design aesthetic said, we don't want holes on the side of our computers because they look ugly. And and the rest of us are are, are going, but yeah, they're useful. We, there's reason those holes are there. We use them, you know. And when they started yanking them out and saying, "Well, you could just get a dongle," well, I don't want to carry my computer in a bag full of dongles, you know. Yeah. That that is a very inelegant way to solve a problem. Well, the things that you mostly need with a notebook are handled by the radios. You know, the radio interfaces a lot of it is a lot of it is and i'm and, yeah. and 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 that was apple's response was you know hey you don't share files with usb sticks and stuff very much anymore you do it all via AirShare, and they created solutions that didn't require physical media and physical things plugging in but you know the whole yeah. world isn't designed by apple and so you know i'm i'm a photographer i take photos it's a pain in the butt to carry around a dongle so that i can read my sd cards out of my computer I want to be able to just take it out of my, my camera and plug it right into my computer and suck it down, which is the reason I still am I'm running a, a 2015 MacBook Pro, because it still had the slot in the side. And I won't buy another Apple computer until I have that or until this one dies and I have to go buy a new one. Mm -hmm. I just I won't. Now, there's rumors that Apple's going to bring some of those slots back in their MacBook Pro line with the M1, and we'll see if that happens. But... You know, I personally well, won't well, buy a computer un, until mine dies. Yeah, there, there was a leaked article just today, I think it was. Yeah, it was dated mm -hmm. today that about uh, the, the uh, a new uh, a new MacBook. Uh, what was it called? 20, no. MacBook Pro? I, I think in 22, it was going to be a 22. Me meaning that next it's a next year's model, yeah, mm -hmm. MacBook Pro, that that has that just exactly that that the case because it doesn't have much, uh, as much storage required in it, 
with a with the um, integrated chips and everything. Right. Uh, that that uh, it'll it'll have more uh, ports. External and, ports. Yeah, I've read some yeah. reviews or some some supposedly leaked ideas that that's coming as well, and I welcome that. You know, yeah. I mean, it's not like you have to have a slot for every kind of card ever, but SD cards are pretty ubiquitous. They're mm-hmm. used everywhere. They should support that, you know. And yes, you should move forward as much as you can. But you know, my my Nikon camera doesn't magically air share stuff to the laptop. And unless they're going to open that up and 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 you know go buy Nikon so they can make a you know a, a, a professional com- camera that that does talk to the Apple world, then I gotta you know move things around on a on a memory card. Well, uh, that's his life. You, you know, my printer has all those card slots, and as well as long as I can talk to my printer now i do have to plug that in but that's just one device but then basically i get other ports with it yeah that's like a giant dongle that you can't carry with you so if you're you know out in the field somewhere and your memory (laughs) card fills up you can't download it onto your computer and sync it to the cloud because you know you didn't have a dongle nowhere to plug the printer in (laughs) you know and and yeah it can all be solved by carrying a dongle fine i can carry a dongle i have a dongle but it's just, you know, it's kind of a pain. Yeah. That's all I'm saying is it's like, why should I have to carry some extra piece of this little well, thing that can be down in my you, bag somewhere that I can lose? They're, they're, they're basically telling you, hey, you don't need that camera anymore. You got you got my camera on the phone, you know? Yeah, use your we're iPhone and then you're connected. And it's like, yeah, well, if the iPhone had a, you know, a 200 millimeter zoom lens that was, you know, super sharp and a, you know, uh, memory sensor that was bigger than my pinky nail, uh, then I could maybe get some of the shots that I want to get with that phone. And it takes beautiful pictures, but it is not a camera. It's it's a snapshot camera. It's not a professional camera and doesn't pretend to be. It's great oh, for what it does. Professional movies have been made with them. <laughs> There's been lots of things that you can do with it. And when you control all of the elements in a movie, you can use that camera to do all kinds of wonderful things. It's, you know, but but most movies are still shot with with, you know, multi thousand dollar professional cameras for a reason. Well, because um, they've they've already got an investment there. Almost all more? of those are leased and used for the movie and then returned to the company that bought them. Almost yeah. no movie productions buy that stuff. Um, it there there is creative control that you have with with larger lenses. I mean, it's just physics. Larger yeah. lenses, larger sensors can do things. You now, you can do a lot of stuff with after the fact um, you know, uh, computational video and computational photography, but the physics aren't ever going to change. You know, more light comes in through a bigger lens and to a bigger sensor. Just going to happen yep. that way. You're, um, you're kind of like you're kind of like the the book reader of last year that's that didn't ever want to read digital books. Your mother is one of those, and I think the last five years she's been reading digital books. She finally said, "I think that's down. a poor analogy." I think that's a poor <laughs> analogy because. Because, you know, looking no, at a, a screen versus looking at a piece of paper, objectively, you can say they're different. But but, uh, you know, you're not you're not changing the understanding of the end result. You will read the words and get the same meaning out of them, whereas the actual end result is different and can be controlled differently when you have the physics of a larger lens and a larger sensor. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah, doesn't mean they won't get there, but you know, I mean, the physics aren't ever going to change. 
So speaking of phones, did you hear um, I sent you one of the articles I sent you is Apple in fourth quarter of 2020 surpassed Samsung as the number one seller of phones worldwide. And 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 a lot of people said the, the 12 isn't as good as their 11 and they're glad they never upgraded. Yeah. Well, they sold enough of them to become the number one seller of handsets for the first time for a quarter since 2016. But the one thing they do have on there is the LiDAR. And a lot of people are really thinking that's pretty exciting. Yeah. The the thing is with that is it's exciting, but it's like, but we still don't really know how. (laughs) You know, Apple has started putting it in lots of devices, but it isn't... um, uh, well, at, at least you know, on on the iPad commercial on their on their website where you buy iPads, they started mm-hmm. finally using some AR so that you can you can appreciate how it can be used and used effectively. And and I think it's about time because if they're not using it on their website, why would anybody else? You know. Yeah. And and they do they they. You can do the 3D turning of the thing right in front of your face. You can move it down on the floor. You can, with your fingers, expand it to whatever size you want. I mean, it's a wonderful. You can examine the device like you were in a store physically on your iPad. Bingo. And it just works great. Spin it around if you want. And so it's, 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 a, it's a quality use of that technology that, that I've never seen before for marketing things. And so now I'm thinking, boy, if the if grocery stores would just do that and allow me to squeeze the tomato, you know, <laughs> that's the next thing. Get a little feel, feel or something. Yeah. But but it's getting getting very good, and I was I was pleased with that. And if you haven't done I, it, you know, get on the iPad uh, sale. I site. have done it, and I didn't see that it was significantly different than than the things that you've been able to do for years now on websites where you go like to build your own car or truck and after you've done it you can then take it and spin it around and look at it upside down and inside out and zoom inside the cab and and that's been around for years that's that's there's but, but i mean the, the end result is not remarkably any, different than anything else but, the technology's but cool let me let me point out in addition to uh-huh. just doing it out in space you can then you can put it in context of a background as well. I mean, that's why it, where it comes up initially is, in fact, it said uh, it put the computer down on my floor because it was the only flat surface that it found in the image that I gave it. And so it was a little small sitting there up by the uh, chair across the room from me. And so I said, oh, I want to look at that. So I grabbed it <laughs> and pulled it right up to me. And then the quality is, is there. It's got this thing so that it's, you know, when it gets closer, it gets clearer, you know, instead of if it was an image that was really way down there, you know. So it's it's a superimposed image is what that is. But but that's kind of neat because if you're going to, let's say, buy furniture and you want to move it around in your room and set it beside something else, you can do that. I mean, the technology is there. So they all they have to do is get people in the marketing world to start taking whatever it is they're selling and create these objects so that now I can create my whole living room thing from, from their set of products here and put it together mm-hmm. and say, ah, oh, that's it, I'll buy that living room. Just you an know? FYI, they have the same true depth technology on the iPhone 11 Pro, so that's not new to the 12. Well, I thought the LiDAR had something to do with it. 
It's built into both. The per, it's, oh, oh, it is. oh, wait okay. a minute. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Sensors. No, you're right. The, the LiDAR, there is LiDAR on the, on the 12 Pro that is not on the 11 Pro. Yeah. And so yeah. that's... Okay. Yeah. So that allows it to, like, scan a room and know the parameters of the room better. Yeah. Yeah. So... Yeah. Well, I'm just it, looking it, at the Mac Tracker uh, specs. So the connections yeah. um, on the connections tab on Mac Tracker for both phones. It I, all I can say is is that until you played with it a little while, it's it's not something you can understand through a description like I'm giving. It doesn't right. work. That, you have once you experience it, you just say, "Wow, that is pretty cool." I mean, and mm -hmm. I've played with like you said some some of these things before, but they were never like this. This is a step See, up. And my feeling was, having played with it and with others, was I was underwhelmed. I went, huh, all of this technology to be able to take something and spin it around. I don't care. That seems to me really? like a, a, yeah, I thought it was incredibly underwhelming. Um, I think that there's lots of stuff yet to come. I think that they're going to do a lot with that technology. And to be honest, I think all of the stuff they're doing right now is just essentially testing how they can use it and what they can and can't do with it so that when they come out with uh say a augmented reality glasses that this will become something that is then really really cool but mm -hmm. you know i'm not walking around holding up my ipad or my phone in order to see you know something that i can spin around in space um you know that essentially to me and again we can argue the point but to me it doesn't look all that different from something i've been able to do for years on websites um, grab things. I mean, you know, IKEA is now using this on iOS, uh, using the technology. But before they did, you could go, you know, go pick up something at IKEA from their online store and put it in your room and virtualize it. And you know, it's better now because now it looks like it's sitting on the floor and it looks more solid because the lidar is able to scan the room and set it down and make it look better. But you know, it's it's again, it's to me, it's nothing that we haven't been able to do for a while. I don't I don't see anything that to me was a big wow, personally. Hmm. Um, now, well, doesn't well, mean that that, you know, the technology is not they're not learning the technology and understanding it better and better so that when the, when the time comes, they're going to drop something on us that we're all going to go. Whoa. Well, but, well, the other the other part of it is the processing power to do a dozen of these things all at the same time in the same window. So you got mm -hmm. lots of. Lots of objects. You could put put them all there, and, yep. and make make them play together. You know. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, and Apple. Uh, that, that's where the M1. Before comes Steve in. Jobs passed away, Apple at one of their keynotes uh, did an intro with the Lego folks, showing multiple. Uh, you know, like you'd build a Lego world, and then you would then use your uh, phone or iPad to look at it, and it would overlay that with virtual pieces that would then integrate with what you just built and and so you could have things moving around and animating within there um that were three-dimensional in that space and right. you know and it was like okay cool it's enough to me it's a technology demonstration all of this is a technology demonstration i guess i just don't see any like practical value to it in my day-to-day -day life yet and i'm yeah. waiting for them to say why okay great this is great technology why what do you want me to do with it what's how's it going to make me feel better about my day or get through my day better what's it really going to do for me you know yes yeah. creating something virtual that i can sit on my desk and spin around while entertaining for about a half a second is not <laughs> of much value to me well 
I, it'll become valuable if, if everybody place that you get on and you get used to it, using it so that you can pick up objects and examine them. To me, I thought yeah. that feature of virtual alone, shopping. Yeah, virtual mm-hmm. shopping can is, is a is a almost a given. I think in the future, because a right. lot of us got spoiled with this pandemic, and uh, mm-hmm. uh, because I'm kind of handicapped, I can't get out easily. So it, I'm I'm more it's more suited to me, but yeah. Uh, I'm not excited about going to big box stores. I, I have yeah. Even well, there's I this little company I think you may have heard of them called Amazon that was doing pretty good before COVID, and then they went nutso when COVID hit. You know, yeah. Um, but yeah, but, I could see them investing heavily in trying to do something like this or partnering with Apple to say let's make this even more of a thing because wait, yeah, we'll instead see, of just looking wait. at pictures of it, you can now see it in your space. Yeah. Right. Fr- frankly, thinking back now, I think big boxes got totally out of hand. It's nice to have a lot, you know, a lot of selection, but man, you, uh, even a grocery store, sort of a normal grocery store today is too big a store for most people, if, especially mm-hmm. if you just want to run in and get something. And that's not the place you go. In fact, you right. avoid it because you can take yeah. a few steps inside of a little place, maybe pay a few nickels more for the right. products, but you can get to them in a hurry and get out. Yeah. Well, that's why the community bodega has, you know, and, and the Seven Elevens and those kind of places exist, is because people went. I don't want to go stand in line at the grocery store. I just need insert item here, right? And so they carry a limited certain items that they know people want to just grab and go, and that's how they stay in business: is people grab and go. Uh, yep. Now, when you were growing up in uh, small town Kansas. You know the grocery store was it, it was a privately owned grocery store by somebody who lived in town, and right. it was probably a, a quarter, oh. if not smaller, than of oh. the size of a typical grocery <laughs> store these days. No, no, and not even close to a quarter of the size of a normal store today. It was like yeah. your living room. Yeah, maybe a little bit bigger. No, not the average living room. It was a big living room, but right. Uh, and and they did have a meat counter even. You know, and they, the, the mm-hmm. guy who had the store had one full-time employee and that was a butcher because that's where people got fresh meat Mm -hmm. you know uh but people well you know you're on farms you guys didn't just butcher your own stuff well farmers did but there was always something that you you know you didn't raise uh right yeah cattle pork uh yeah yeah you might have chickens but you don't have cows or you you, you're tired of eating mutton so let's let's go uh let's go get a cow you know get a steak yeah, and, and bacon, roast. You, know, you know, not everybody makes their own. So there right. was always something. And, of course, they didn't have prepackaged bacon then at all. There was no such thing as right. prepackaged meat, at yeah. least in my, my vicinity. Yeah. Well, um, my, my memory of that was, remember the year that um, that uh, your father-in-law came to visit us? My grandpa Leo came to visit us from Kansas, and he brought with him some stuff from a guy who who did his own meat, and he smoked meat, and he brought out... Uh, smoked oh, yeah. ham and some bacon and a couple other things, and oh, yeah. that was some of the best smoked meats I've ever had in my entire life. I remember the gravy from that ham to this day. Well, let me tell you about that place. Uh, he, it was a grocery store. It was a rare grocery store, but it was smaller and it was built around the butcher part of the store. Yeah. That was the most important part because people came for miles to that place just for that butcher. Yeah, he he made uh, all kinds of uh, uh, products that were 
from his heritage, which was German. He, he was an mm -hmm. Im immigrant from Germany, and they had all kinds of sausages, and uh, it, it was they were marvelous. I mean, it was yeah. not, nothing you can buy today that even comes close to how yeah. good as those were, you know. Yeah, well, I mean, this was back when I was in high school, and I'm in, you know, in my late fifties, and I still remember it. So that that tells well, you something about how how memorable it was. Yeah, when Mr. Brandt died, that by the way is his name, and he had a nephew, or not a nephew, a uh, a cousin that had a grocery store, small, really small grocery store in my hometown, and he sold mm -hmm. the meats that his brother had. So that that so there was a, an extension to mm -hmm. it as long as he was alive. Of course, they're all gone now. And I, yeah. you know, I don't know if any of the kids have continued the business, but it's possible they had they had a built-in market for them back there. Mm -hmm. If they'd have just continued with the recipes, you know. Yeah. Uh, Good stuff. Anyway. Good stuff. Uh, oh yeah, what what a change in times. Uh, yeah. And and you're absolutely right. We, my dad, and my uncle got together and we and they would butcher themselves right there at the farm uh, but then oftentimes once this uh, butcher shop which was co-located with the uh, uh, locker we called it and basically yeah, I was gonna say is, isn't that that's the other issue is storage right and very often the the butcher and or the um, the, the grocery store ran a ran a cold the, locker that 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 was the refrigerator, public refrigerator. You know, you paid mm -hmm. rent for storage, uh, storing stuff there. But that you could have it butchered and 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 wrapped up in packages and stuck in the locker for you. So all you had to do after you put your order in, give them a day or two, and to get the job done, and you could start going picking up however much stuff you needed for the day or a couple days maybe. Uh, mm -hmm. Because refrigerators were young then, and most a lot of them were still ice boxes, so you'd bring right. it home and keep it cool for a while. But you had to have ice to do it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, we first moved to California. There was a place um, maybe a mile from our house that was called the Meat Locker, and it was a little, little bit, a uh, little privately owned grocery store. But basically, that's what it was. It was just a big meat locker, and you would buy. People could go buy like a full, a full cow or a, a half a cow. And yep. and you kept it there, and then you'd go down and pick up your meat. And they also sold, you know, some milk and eggs and things like that if you needed it. Or uh, the kids knew it because they always they had a little bit of a candy counter, so you could stop in and pick up, you know, a candy bar or something. Um, yep. But yeah, the the meat locker was was uh, a community thing there for a long time, and I'm not sure when it shut down, but it's it's not there anymore. Well, well in terms of uh, chronology, the first thing that happened is from there days before I was born, uh, lockers were a common thing because everybody had to have ice, uh, and therefore somebody produced it and kept it in their store, and they would mm -hmm. sell blocks of ice, because that way it won't melt as fast, to right. uh, their customers, uh, and these were about 10-pound 10 10, 10 blocks. They were big blocks, right. and so you, you would put those in the top of your uh, refrigerator with a and they mm -hmm. sat in a pan, so when they drained, it would uh, go out into a, a tank outside right. of it. Or, the cooler, not the, the refrigerator, cooler. the cooler. Yeah, <laughs> and, and underneath of the ice is where you got the cool coolness coming down. That's where you put your foods. Right. You know? Yeah, because cold falls, so cold air drops, and, so you and put so the you, coolant you, at the top. Right, and, and you didn't uh, stand there with the door open, let me tell you. 
because people knew it oh, melted yeah. their ice, and that was precious. <laughs> it didn't last yeah. that long. Yeah, yeah. Uh, kids open the door and stand in front of the cooler, man. They get yelled at. <laughs> well, kids weren't allowed to open it. That was yeah. controlled by the parents, very strictly controlled. Yeah. Kid, kids did, did, <laughs> didn't even get to look in there. Yeah, yeah. It's like, yeah, and you want something, you, know, you ask for it, and they'll, they'll uh, open it, grab it, and shut it real quick. <laughs> yep. Now, now, my grandparents had an ice box that I remember, but the earliest mm. days when I was very young, under or somewhere around a year before we moved to a, to a different farm, I have, and, and still to this day, I, have, I look at photos of, uh, that my dad took from floor level. And I think he did it intentionally so that when I grew up, I would get to see the kitchen as I remembered it. There's just oh, a few photographs. Cool. And I thought that was really a clever thing to do because yeah. uh, we had one of the early Kelvinator refrigerators. That was the only brand that I knew of. And it had a uh, uh, little motor, uh, like a gasoline, kerosene, that's what it was. It was a kerosene motor, and it had a... Uh, uh, one of those flexible pipes to carry the exhaust out outside so you didn't, didn't have the fumes and stuff in your house. Now, it was still da dangerous because they would leak, you know. So they mm -hmm. didn't want you to run them for too long. And uh, and they weren't automatically. They didn't automatically come on or off. You, you had to crank them up when you wanted to use them, and, and you didn't use them too long. And then you, then you just retained that stuff through insulation, you know, the coldness. Mm -hmm. So you know, Calvinator is still around as a as an appliance manufacturer. They're now owned by Electrolux. Is that right? Electrolux yeah. made vacuum cleaners. <laughs> right. They bought Kelvinator in 1986. Wow. Yeah. Well, it was a good name for refrigerators. Kelvin, you know, degrees. Right. Yeah. How many degrees? Took its name Kelvin? from uh, uh, William Thompson, the first Baron of Kelvin who developed the concept of absolute zero from whom the Kelvin temperature scale is named, which is what they yep. use in, in science, right? You know, yep. degrees Kelvin. Yeah. What was it, 274 degrees, as I recall, was the, the cold? Uh, in uh, Fahrenheit, it's 273.16, uh, according yeah, to, the, like to the fine folks at Wikipedia. So 274 is pretty accurate. Yeah, yeah that, that's, that's supposed that's... to be absolute zero. Yeah, that that struck me as a number I remember mm -hmm. used to remember, but uh, yeah, yeah, it was the concept <laughs> of of at that temperature. Then uh, what was it? Um, uh, all movement of the uh, at the subatomic level stops. Yep, yep. Yeah, there's no motion, so no heat. That's absolute zero. Yeah, yeah. Interesting stuff. Yeah, and you're right. Kelvinator is a great name for a freezer as a result, right? Yeah. So. You know, I don't recall whether that refrigerator had a freezer, but I'm sure it must have because the concept then was is that you'd have this smaller little contained first refrigerators had a freezer hanging inside their fridge. And it mm -hmm. was a little compartment that you could put a few ice trays in and maybe something else with them. But it was really small space. And that yeah. was the that was your freezer part of the refrigerator initially. But th that that whole thing that hung from the ceiling or the the roof of the refrigerator was really there to cool the refrigerator initially but somebody says hey we could we want some ice cubes yeah. we can make ice 
you know? That gets really cold, so that little spot. Yeah, that's what, um, if you have a, a mini fridge that a lot of kids have, like when they're in their dorm rooms in college and stuff, there's usually yeah. a little a little section at the top that hangs down, and it's usually like an aluminum-type material. And if you slide inside there, sometimes there's a little plastic door on the front of it, you can put, you know, a little bit of ice cream or, or like you said, a little uh, ice cube tray in there. Because that well, area will make ice, when, and like you said, you that's think, basically just the coolant for the well, for the whole when, fridge. When you think when you think about it, putting a lot of water in there to as kind of a storage mechanism for the cold is a good thing because then it doesn't have to yeah. come on and off very as as many times because it would retain its coolness by the storage mechanism of water yeah. being frozen. So have some mass in there that's already frozen. Yeah. Yep. So, yeah, uh, interesting stuff. So, uh, interesting stuff. <laughs> not it, not our typical it, tech stuff, but it's technology nonetheless, right? <laughs> it was, and it was an important technology. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you and, think and about that, it. There's lots of places in the world where human beings would have difficulty existing if we didn't have uh, refrigeration, and most of that refrigeration is drawn off of the electrical grid, although there are refrigerators that will work off of uh, gas, or like you said, there was one that ran with, uh, you had one in the home that was a gas one. Mo- a lot I of uh, campers and mo- uh, motorhomes these days will have uh, fridges that will run off of propane. Yeah, in fact, I had trouble finding somebody who knew how to service a gas air conditioner when we moved out to that uh, ranch. You remember the big mm-hmm. old gas uh, unit that was it was hidden behind those uh, bushes? Kind of flower, kind of flower bush. I didn't realize that was a gas air conditioner. I knew where it was, but I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, it was it was gigantic compared to the normal electric systems they got sitting around yeah. now. I remember uh, it was ginormous. It sat on the end of the house and covered almost the whole side of the house. Yeah. You know, yep. it had some trees or shrubs planted in front of it to kind of hide it, so you didn't see it necessarily when you drove o- up. Ole and oleanders is what they were. I forgot the name of the bush until now. Yeah. Remember that stuff, was which is dangerous when you those. I mean, it was not right up against the 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 uh, the fields, well, but you had some. You know, if you had an area with horses or something, you don't want oleanders around there. Well, there, there were no animals allowed up there. This was outside. No, that's what I'm saying. It was up against the house. It wasn't out by the by the pastures, but there were pastures out there, and and yeah, that's not an area you want to uh, yep. to let your animals get to because that'll make them sick. But uh, but oleanders have beautiful smell when they're in bloom. They do. And they're beautiful. I'm unfortunately they, they, allergic to it, and so I start sneezing and itching. <laughs> oh, you are, huh? huh? Yes. I discovered that uh, a little bit later in life. It's like I well, discovered the source. Well, because remember, they're all along the freeways and stuff. The, the, I uh, know. Medium is covered with <laughs> Yes. Them. Yes, they're used a lot of places in Southern <laughs> California. And I find that so joyous as I itch and sneeze my way through the spring. <laughs> so. I, I remember... How beautiful I thought the roads were when we came to California because you came across all that desert, you know, dry mm-hmm. on both sides of the highway. You'd see nothing. Yeah, everything's brown. Sand blowing around. And then suddenly when you get into the populated areas where they irrigated those things, they had built uh, irrigation built all of them down the, the medians mm-hmm. to keep them going. And they, yeah. just because they were, they were great uh, windbreakers and, uh, and mm-hmm. uh, looked pretty and you know, they've pulled a lot of them out because they're not native to the area. And so there's been a big push to get um, desert plants put planted because they're wa- more water um, oh, uh, the water They don't use as much water. And 
they're they're not native and so they're saying well let's let's plant native plants that are able to live in the desert without us dumping a bunch of water on them and so consequently our freeways are ugly because desert plants tend to be brown uh, a lot of the unless, time unless unless there's a cactus and then they don't they do have some few flowers but but yeah. they, they don't uh I would hate to have yeah. an accident and run into a cactus. I mean, those are the Yeah, for whatever reason, and maybe that's the reason, there doesn't seem to be a whole lot of cacti uh, planted along the roadways. But they've replaced um, a lot of places where there were oleanders. They've put in um, uh, native plants that, you know, and flowering and blossoming. And so that means like, you know, the, the salt cedar and some other kind of trees and plants. I'm not up on all of it, but they're they're they're, you know, probably more area appropriate, but they're not necessarily super pretty plants in a lot of cases but i'm yeah. sure they're drought resistant and probably saving cities lots of money in in having to irrigate which is fine well, you've just kind of introduced a new topic here todd in the sense of this whole concept of of uh, because of the climate uh, uh is re, is to restore trees and vegetation that used to be there in wherever you're talking about and and mm-hmm. uh, there's a bunch of uh, botanists that kind of come together and said we can go a long way toward individuals helping uh, the environment by planting trees. However, the big caution is if you say leave it up to individuals, they don't know what they're doing and they'll plant the wrong kind. Right. Because as you say, you, you need to find native crops, native plants. And, uh, yeah. And so... Uh, but anyway, yeah, you don't want a tree that requires a swamp to grow in like from Louisiana in the middle of a California desert. Yeah, anyway, I, I was going to tell you, the article that I read has to do, uh, to do and had a lot of good pictures of uh, Africa, where basically they've reclaimed a good part of the Sahara. I had no idea they've made such progress in the recent mm-hmm. years. But they plant thousands of trees every year at the perimeter of what is the current blossoming, where the, the native trees are taking hold. They, they know mm-hmm. how long it takes before they uh, can sustain themselves. And basically, they've they've affected the weather climate in the area so much by the new growths of trees and stuff, and so it's been a very successful project, and so that's encouraging. Uh, you know, of course, we have the counter of that over down in in uh, Brazil where they're losing right. the rainforests, but uh, and 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 it's for the opposite reason, people want to use those trees, you know. Uh, yeah. Instead of replenishing them, you know? yeah. Well, a lot of time they're they're clearing it to make fields so that they can grow crops. That's you right. Know, and and, yeah. and you can't say, well, sorry, tough. You can't grow food. So you know, you got to kind of find a balance there. But yeah, it's 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 a little scary when they're burning down thousands of acres. In a lot of cases, they're not just cutting it down; they're burning down parts of the rainforest in Brazil. So they're not even the wood that, that they're that they're getting rid of. They're just destroying it. They're not even using it or harvesting it. Yeah, that um, energy's lost. Yeah. Yeah, which seems like a, a real shame, you know. But, yeah. um, but uh, you know, you think but, about these but towns it's, in California that because of forest fires, you know, uh, if, if the forest is susceptible to uh, to uh, burning like that, being dried out, yeah. then, then having too many trees is not a good thing because it becomes a, a source for uh, fire fuel, you know. Yeah. Well, and and the idea that, that, you know, that fires happen, I mean, that's a natural occurrence, too. Fires happen and they burn. And in fact, the um, the sequoias in Sequoia National Park, 
their pine cones don't open up and release seeds unless they've been burned. They have to be charred in order for them to open up. So the only way that the sequoia forest will continue to grow is if there are occasional burns. That has to happen. And and historically, they were, you know, the, the, the forest management guys were doing control burns. Obviously, you know, when you're having in the middle of a drought, you don't want to do that because it can get out of control pretty quick. But, uh, you know, and clearing the undergrowth and the, the brush and stuff. So, you know, burns in and of themselves are not bad things. It's when you've got so many of them over the whole state that nobody can breathe, then you've got yeah. some issues. Uh, and part of those, they've in, at least in California, there's been a lot of issues with uh, our local electric uh, company in that they've run lots of power lines to places where people live in the woods and stuff and need power. And those power lines were what were causing uh, when the high winds would kick up, the power lines would cross and spark, and that's what was causing a lot of the fires. And so um, there's been a lot of talk about um, going back and rerunning power lines and burying them so that they're not uh, susceptible to winds, which is a more expensive way of running them because you have to excavate as opposed to just putting in poles and running wires. Oh, but, yeah. You know, everybody everybody certain... tries the cheap thing until they find out what the real cost is, right? Exactly, <laughs> yeah. There, there's more cost to it than just what's installed. And, and you know, PG&E, Pacific uh, Gas and Electric here in California, is finding out through a lot of lawsuits that they've lost um, that, you know, having done it the cheap way uh, is, you know, pay me now, pay me later. And, of course, that just comes back to all of us because they have to then raise their rates to cover those costs, whether they be costs of doing it uh, of rerunning the wires or costs of paying off lawsuits, we all pay it. So, yeah. you know, it's... By, by the way, there's a, when you start talking about technologies, uh, of course, the thing in the news lately has been Texas and their uh, power disaster down there. And the one thing that came to as a big surprise to me is that uh, they have a lot of natural gas because that's where it comes from and therefore is an yeah. inexpensive fuel. And it's used both to generate electricity as well as to be used in uh, uh, heating, you know, and especially right. in the wintertime. Uh, of course, this time it was heating demand, and it took away from the uh, electric grid because – but basically they said uh, the distribution system for natural gas, in other words, pipes, apparently froze – I, it was the only. Yeah. It was very. It was very nebulous. I couldn't quite figure it out. And I'm still looking to understand what really happened to the natural gas. Mm -hmm. uh, but it, apparently, a significant number of uh, of losses had to do with uh, natural gas power generate electric power generation. So I think right. it may be exclusive to that, not to just feeding furnaces. Well, there's there's a couple so, issues there. You know, natural gas, we think of it as a gas, but it can be a liquid given the right pressure and temperature. And I don't right. know what that is. So there may have been issues with distribution of it to homes for heating. But the issue with the electrical generation was that they use the gas to generate steam that then turns turbines. The problem is, is that the steam pipes were so cold that when they tried to generate steam, it would kept turning back into liquid water because it would cool too quickly. And so they couldn't run the turbines. Okay. So their that's, whole system that's probably, was... That's probably what yeah. they were talking about. Anyway, yeah. it, it puzzled me. And they had me. the same problem with their nuclear. The nuclear does the same thing. It heats water to make steam to turn turbines. And because their stuff is all outside, because normally what they're trying to do is outside in, in Houston is, you know, 100 degrees in the summer. They want it to be as efficient as possible. So they run it outside so the whole thing cools better. 
but that doesn't work when it drops to 10 degrees. <laughs> and that's oh. the whole problem, is it dropped to 10 degrees, and so suddenly their nuclear plants didn't work, their gas plants didn't work, their coal plants, because they're all essentially steam plants. And it was like, holy moly, didn't anybody think of this? Well, it turns out they did. Ten years ago, they've even shown video of it being talked about in the Senate in Texas. Ten years ago, saying, hey, we've got a problem here. Experts telling the senators, we need to do something because this is going to bite us. They did nothing. Ten years ago, they knew about this problem. You know, So anybody who lost a loved one, I think, should be suing the state every which way they can. Yeah, well, you know, that you know and I'm not saying the state has to take care of people. You have to have a certain amount of personal responsibility. But holy moly, you know, yeah. and you can't always plan for everything. You know, you can't plan for everything. Right. Well, to but, me, the answer, the, the, the answer stuck out in one article that I read, and that is that their their uh, management power management agency, uh, ERCOT or something like that. Yeah. I forgot the, the name. I was run by lawyers. They don't have an engineer on the staff. <laughs> so what they did is they made they made a calculated they made a calculated assessment and said <laughs> you know how how what's the chance of it getting cold and if it gets cold what's the chance of us getting sued and how much can we get sued and if that's the case let's set aside that amount of money to pay off everybody when we get sued and we'll just go on our merry way which so, basically is putting prices so, on people's lives yeah 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 but lawyers I think yeah I, I think it's always a people problem it comes back to the stupidity you know yeah and 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 people well, you feel for people told, who people can be even told about a problem and they'll sit on their hands because they don't appreciate the magnitude of it. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, I mean, I, I'm all for personal responsibility and I, you know, and I, I, the first one to say, Hey, you know, I live in a place where earthquakes can happen. I have an earthquake kit. I have some bottled water setting aside. I have sleeping bags. I have a tent. You know, if my house becomes unlivable, I can live outside my house i can live you, better, you know wherever i can better, set up a tent you better have a gun you know too, todd, so you, you know it's what when, when when society degrades to that point none of your supplies are safe well we don't talk about everything that we have because that's a security <laughs> thing so you know you you protect you protect what's yours but you know you know it's it's there's a certain i mean in texas everybody you assume has a gun um but, uh, you know, it's, yeah. you know, but you've got to draw a line somewhere and say, okay, what, you know, and, and you would hope that, you know, you, if you're living in an area and you've got something that you can turn to your neighbors and say, well, let me help my neighbors because I don't want them to die either. You know, sure. you know, it's like when you go to church, you know, you know, you, you, there's a community there and you do right. your best to help people. And, and whether you agree with them politically or whether you like your neighbor or not. That doesn't mean you want to watch them die because they didn't have a sleeping bag, you know? Right. Uh, and maybe they couldn't afford to get on a plane and fly to Cancun with their family. So, you know, you, you <laughs> do what you can do. Do what you can do. Uh, you know? Speaking of Texas and people doing what they can do, uh, during the radio show this morning with Aaron um, on, uh, on uh, KCAA Radio, we talked about, I found this article about this woman in Texas who uh, got up early in the morning this last week and went to the grocery store. And she came back about 7 o'clock in the morning. And as she pulls into her driveway, she sees this guy staring into her 15-year-old daughter's bedroom. And she jumps out of her car and starts screaming at the guy, runs over and tackles him. And, uh, and then she lets him go to call 911. And he takes off running. So she takes off after him again. And a block over, 
there's a police car who stops because he sees they see the guy come running through a yard, and right behind him is the woman, and they've got the camera on the front of the car, so you see him. He goes in front of the car, and she comes and just nails this guy like a flying body block and tackles him down to the ground. <laughs> <laughs> he attacked the wrong old lady, huh? Yeah, well, she wasn't an old lady, but but it was a mom with a 15-year-old daughter who was pissed, and she took it yeah. out on this guy. And, uh, and I mean, lucky neither of them were armed, but, uh, you know, she she just nailed him. And then the cops, you see the two cops come running from the sides from the car. <laughs> they go like, uh-oh. <laughs> yeah, pull her, her off him. And, uh, and so in addition to the peeping tong, apparently he was carrying some drugs, and so uh, the guy's going to spend some time in jail. But uh, he, re- yeah, he messed with the wrong mama. Let me tell you, uh, yeah. yeah, parents everywhere watching that, going, yeah, <laughs> you know. I mean, can you imagine coming home? There's some guy staring in your kid's bedroom. Yeah. You know that that's touching a nerve. Yes, so, it is. Um, to get back to to tech, I sent you a uh, uh, article about a something called the Silver Sparrow malware, and apparently um, there I, has been. I inf- saw that. Yeah. Yeah, about 30,000 Macs have been identified as infected in 153 different countries. Um, and, uh, yeah, so um, apparently a security vendor, Red Canary, identified it. And uh, they uh, it says it did not exhibit the behaviors that we've come to expect from usual adware that often, you know, uh, attacks Mac OS and other systems. Uh, the novelty of this downloader arises primarily from the way it uses javascript for execution something that we hadn't previously encountered on other mac os malwares and it's unusual only it's only the second piece of malware capable of targeting the new m1 Macs as well so um that's out there um but uh, apparently it's out in the wild and remember um just recently apple pushed out some upgrades updates to ios and to mac os and they said install these right away because they're active. Well, part of that was bu- this, is what oh, I have read. So I, w- I was going to say, was... we'll have a we'll have an upgrade coming in a few hours. You know. Yeah. Well, apparently it already got pushed out, and you know, and, and Apple has that means too. Your your Macs phone home to to Apple every once in a while and say, you know, are there any uh, apps that I should be aware of and apple will then ha- maintains a, a like a, a blacklist of things that are known to be bad and uh, and your mac your, will regularly update will check that list and say oh hey you know we know about this piece of malware or that piece of you know software or whatever and they'll block it and so um they can do that too without an update even so uh, right anyhow um you know the system's working i guess but uh uh Apparently, 30,000 affected hosts have not downloaded what would be the next or final payload. So it uh, but uh, if you want to uh, check your Mac, there is a um, indicators of compromise through Red Canary software. And uh, well, I would caution anybody on an article associated with that to not be pushing any buttons, because oftentimes this is bait to get you to push a button that actually creates the problem. It is, yeah. That's the insidious thing, right? Is the people who are purporting to tell you about a problem and how to solve it. Yes. That's, that's if you the follow their state. steps. You, yeah, if you follow their steps, you're in deep doo doo. I would say rather than going to Silver or Red Canary software, go to Apple. Apple will yeah. tell you what's the how to deal with it. Yeah, don't um, don't don't bite the bait. I, 
I just get real cautious about that. In fact, while when when I noticed that you had sent me this, I was in fact reading an article, and it turned to be it turned out the whole article really was an ad for some protection software, and I think to myself, well, gee, now this this very well this might sound good to a lot of people, but I don't want any protection software on my Mac. That's why I have Apple. That's the whole reason I pay the money to own Apples, so that they take care of me. Because that that was the reason I left Windows. Every week I had to have some damn piece of code updating it because they're trying to smash some bug somewhere. And yeah. I, that, that got so overwhelming you couldn't use the damn computer anymore. Yeah. You know? Well, and in fact, you, you know, almost uh, you would be crazy to go on the Internet without, you know, buying some additional like malware protection software and yeah. then you had to question whether that was trustworthy you know it's like right yeah it oh. just it got to be a, a headache yeah you you can get just surrounded by that stuff and and never get anywhere never solve the problem and i felt yeah. that was the way that was the way windows was and so uh, i wasn't going to play that game i said and, and so i've been on mac since 2008 and i've never put a piece of security software on it in that whole time that means 12 years of using the computer instead of fighting bugs yeah, and, and the associated crap that goes with that. Yeah. You know? Well, and when you buy your computer, it doesn't come. You don't have to spend the first day deleting all the crap that they put on it that was adware uh, so that it right. could be that's, so cheap. That was the other yeah. thing that was frustrating. You could buy a brand new Windows computer and spend, you know, half a day trying to delete. In fact, my, my sense was I didn't usually try to delete anything. As soon as I got a computer, I would immediately boot off of a clean in those days disk but nowadays usb key or whatever and and reinstall the operating system fresh with nothing on it other than just the operating system and then i would put on it what i wanted rather yeah. than uh deal with the the crud that usually was put on it you know a lot of cruft uh right on on a mac or on a on a windows pc um and that you know that was the attraction for mac for me too although i will say i think i've told the story before the first Mac that I had gotten, it was a modern Mac. I mean, I, because I worked in the newspaper industry, a lot of our advertising people and layout people used Macs for years. So I had been supporting Macs for a long time. And I had had Macs all the way back from the original Mac, uh, you know, classic Mac with the 9-inch black and white screen all the way up. So I'd had lots of different versions of Macs over the years. But um, the, mo the first modern Mac that I got was a Mac Mini, and it was when they were still on power PCs. It was before they had switched to Intel. Um, but they had come out with the new Mac OS X, and that was the first one that had uh, preemptive multitasking and, and solid memory management. It was based on, uh, you know, Berkeley BSD Unix, and so I thought, okay, I want to see one of those, see what it is. So I went and got the Mac Mini, because I had lots of monitors and keyboards laying around, and I set it up in our dining room. And I, and I plugged it in and set it up there and just said, okay, you know, and from here I could kind of see into the den or from there I could see into the den in that house and, and what, you know, what was going on on the TV. And, and so I just set it up there and I played with it. And within about a month, that became the default computer for everybody in the house. Anytime they wanted to do anything or look at anything, on the, my whole family just said, that's the easier one to use. Now, it wasn't that we didn't have Windows PCs around and laptops around, but that was the computer everybody preferred to use. And, you know, light bulb goes off in my head. Hmm. You know, this came out of the box. I didn't have to delete anything off of it. It works smoothly. I don't have to put any, you know, malware protection on it. Um, I don't have to do any work supporting it. This seems much, much better deal for me. 
And yeah. so from then on, I just kind of started, you know, anytime somebody needed a computer, we went to the, we went the Apple route and I've never looked yep. back. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, yeah, I won't look back. I, I mean, I, I don't care how cheap you can give me a piece PC and I probably wouldn't use yeah. it. I just don't want to deal with it. Yeah. See, now, my, I, my Mac mini was a 2005 Mac mini. Yeah. It was right after they introduced it. Yeah, well, I I can understand people in work, uh, you know, that's what that's what they have to use in order to to run their business software and and if yeah. the, if the if the business provides them the computer, fine. Use, you know, learn yeah. to use it. But uh <clears throat> then somebody else is responsible for maintaining all that crap, you know? Sure. <laughs> yeah. Well, because I want to stay in touch with the with the tech world all the way around, I have a PC, but what it is is it's an Intel Nook, which is about the size of a Mac Mini. In fact, it's actually a little smaller, um, and uh, you know it's a single. It's not a, not a high powered one, but it can run the latest version of the Windows OS, and uh, and it's plugged in here in my shack out back, and I can toggle around between it. For a long time, I used that as my Skype machine. So when I was doing like what we're doing now, I would run Skype on one machine, and then I'd bring the other machine up while I was you know while we were talking to keep notes and stuff in front of me and uh and i have a keyboard switch so i could switch and use the same keyboard and mouse for all the computers and i have a, a raspberry pi plugged into that same setup so i can you know play around with that so that's sort yeah. of my unix machine and i've been thinking about because for for um for about 150 bucks i've seen them you can buy a what they call a chrome box which is a chromebook but it's just a, a little Mac Mini, for lack of a better word, type of Chromebook, and it works the same way. And you plug it in, and that way, then I would have the latest Chrome OS too to play around with um, and look at and use. Because I know there are students that use that, and uh, there's been sometimes when my wife, who's a teacher, has needed to see. She wants to, you know, she says, "Well, how does this look on a Chromebook?" Because kids are telling me one thing, and I'm seeing something else on my Mac, and uh, and running it in Chrome OS or in the Chrome browser is not quite the same as running it on a Chromebook. And I have a little laptop Chromebook that, that I've used, but it's it's so old now it can't run the latest version of Chrome OS. And so, um, you know, it's been handy. Um, so I might I might look at a, a, a Chrome box at some point, but I haven't yet. But uh, uh, but all of that is more just because I have an interest in it, not because I need it to do yeah. anything that I actually need to do. I do it on a Mac. And most of the time, quite honestly, these days, it's on my Mac Mini, which is my main computer out here in my shack out back studio. Um, I've got that plugged into a monitor, and I've got a keyboard and a mouse, and I, I like using a mouse more than the touchpad most of the time. Um, although I've gotten used to this setup where I keep a mouse under my right hand, and I have an Apple touchpad under my left hand on, on my keyboard here in the office. Because yeah. there's times when I want to, you know, the, the touchpad works, and I found that my left hand works good for that, and my right hand works. So I, I've got a, I'm an ambi- ambidextrous pointer out here. <laughs> so, um, Well, at my point in in life, uh, my iPad gets probably 99% of my use, and I probably don't mm-hmm. even can't even justify a MacBook, the MacBook that I have here anymore. And my Mini, ever since I've had it, hasn't seen a heck of a lot of use. I just yeah. got away from the computer world because I didn't need it. You know, I mean, there were, you're an iPad guy. There, there were certain things for a long time I couldn't do, and those have diminished. However, they haven't totally gone away. There's some some reason still to own a computer right um, and, and i uh, would even say go so far as to say very often it's not that you can't do it it's just that you have to jump through hoops to get it done 
Uh, yeah. that, that might mean you know downloading a piece of software that does what you want to do, but it does it differently, or does part of what you want to do. So then you need two pieces of software, and so it's just more kludgy sometimes. Yeah, yeah. My feeling anyway. That's been my experience. Well, I did one it, of those tests where I tried but, to use the iPad exclusively for a month and not use my computers, and there were I, I and I found that virtually everything I wanted to do I could do, but it wasn't just that it was different. In some instances, I didn't think it was as good. It was there was more steps to get something done. I could do it, but something well, that used to be click click is now click 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 load click swipe click. But, you know, and I was like, why but, am I adding ten you, steps to everything? The the exact opposite effect occurs when you have been used uh, an iPad for as long as I have. It's now kludgy to use the computer, and in fact, right. so much so that I find the way it works to be awfully terrible i mean it just doesn't make sense right and so well and i say uh, that i wasn't i wasn't saying that in a generalized sense because in a generalized sense i think that the touch interface makes more sense i was saying there are specific actions that i'm trying to do certain jobs that i'm trying to get done and some of them were better suited to a computer others you know or or just you know it was a more streamlined process on a computer you know because um, you know, unless you happen to have the pencil and nothing on the iPad is designed to force you to use a pencil because they don't want th- that should be an option uh, right. on the computer. You have much more fine control. I can go down and select, you know, up almost to the pixel level uh, with my mouse, whereas with the iPad, I would have to, like, pinch apart to zoom zoom way in to pick that next and then pinch back together to zoom zoom way out to see the screen again and then to move to if that hope that pixel wasn't right zoom zoom way in pick the next pixel zoom zoom way out and go does that look right you know and whereas on the mac on the mac it's just so much easier but but with a pencil stuck right there to the side of mine i it's right there if if i need it i can i can use that as my controller You know, it's yeah, you thing. get you get finer control. But like I said, if, if, if you're doing like some pixel management on like a, a photograph, uh, it's zoom. You have to zoom in and out. And and on a computer like on my desktop, I've got a huge monitor in front of me. I don't have to zoom in and out nearly as much. And if I want to zoom out, uh, I literally roll a wheel that's already under my finger on the mouse and I zoom in. I click on what I want. I roll that wheel and zoom back out and I can do yeah. it real quickly by moving a finger less than a a half an inch. Um, Whereas, you know, I have to, you know, like put two fingers on the screen and pinch. And sometimes I have to do it. I have to out pinch like two or three times to zoom into the level I want, then make the change, then pinch back together to zoom back out to the level that I want a couple times. And it's just, there are certain things that, that that interface hasn't worked well for. Now, if they gave me that interface on a 40 inch screen and I could, put two fingers up and stretch apart and zoom way in and then put two fingers and stretch back in, then maybe it would work. But Apple has been very adamant that they don't want to do that at this point. Yeah. You know? Yep. Well, what I was referring to mostly with, with a computer being necessary had to do with hardware attachments like DVDs and CDs. And Uh, yeah, that's, that's going back into the past, but you know, I Mm -hmm. still have some of those sitting on the shelf, you know, (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. You know, it's like, great. I'm glad you guys have moved on. But but I've got, you know, three hundred dollars of DVDs sitting over here. What do you want me to do with those? <laughs> Throw them away. <laughs> no, I rip yeah. most of that stuff. I've got it digitized. But, it, you know, every once in a while I'll get a new one and I get them just from who knows where. They have a, a 
you, you still can go to yeah. stores and find them. Yeah, Not- yeah. Back in the back in the day when we actually went out of our houses, you know. Well, yeah. and the thing is too, you know, you know, sometimes they're they're available to buy like through iTunes or something, but they're like twelve ninety nine, and you can go find old movies that are interesting to watch, you know, in the in the throwaway bin at Goodwill for a buck, and you know, or sometimes three or four for a buck. And you're like, well, why wouldn't I want to do that and watch those and enjoy them? Because I don't really care to own them for a long period of time. After I watch them a couple, I maybe throw them away or I'll rip them and keep them, you know, in my thing. But it just the ability to do that is something that they're sort of taking away from us by making everything go electronic. Yeah, which today, which you know go- that the the movie studios and the and the record producers all love that, but yeah. it also now, means that there's going to be a, a fair amount of trade in you know, illicit copies of that stuff. Now, I was going to say, today, a lot of times the option is you can get it online and download it as long as you want it, as long as you own it, and you can log, here's your login, and you, so it's a link. But don't dare right. lose that dang link, or you're lost the thing, you know, or you forget right. where you put it. You better mm-hmm. be organized, because otherwise that can just disappear in a flash, you know. And yeah, at my age, I don't trust my memory anymore, so those kinds of products i usually still order as a dvd or cd just so i've got something i can go to you know if i need it just as a backup yeah i would recommend i would recommend for you look at movies anywhere it's a free service you can join for free and what it it's it was put in place by a couple of the movie theater companies like sony pictures and universal pictures and and what they do is you can then associate with your Movies Anywhere account movies that you've purchased anywhere. Okay? So if you've bought them through a link on the DVD, if you've bought them through uh, through Amazon, if you bought them through iTunes, it doesn't matter. You just go in there and tell them where you bought it from and you you know basically register with them. And then they will present them to you and you can use that interface. You only have to remember the one place to go to watch it. Yeah, it's called Movies Anywhere. What do you do and, if and, all you got is a DVD in, your, in front of your face and no receipt? Okay, if you have a DVD... Okay, I've, I was talking about the ones that you said they had the link, and you would go there and download it, and, you, and then you don't have to remember the link. Well, if you just yeah. own the DVD and you don't have a link anywhere, then this doesn't do you any good, I don't believe. Oh, okay. I don't think they're going to suddenly convert your purchased DVDs to, um, to uh, things. But they actually have a redeem button, so if you have a digital code... You uh, on like your DVD that you bought, um, you can redeem them right here, directly in Movies Anywhere. I don't know what you mean a code, but well, a lot of times when you buy a DVD these days on the DVD, it has a digital code on it, so you can also just download it. Oh, or stream it. Oh, it's it's a little sticker that somebody put on it. Well, it's a number. It's a code. It's sometimes it's on a piece of paper inside. Yeah, well, what I thought what you were just talking is, about that. You were just talking yeah. about they give you a place to download it, but then you've got to remember that place. And what I'm telling you is, you don't. You have one place you can go called Movies Anywhere. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know if that addresses all of my concerns because it. Well, it certainly know. doesn't if you have an original disc that doesn't have a code. I don't think there's any way they're going to say, "Hey, that disc that you bought." Uh, will now let you, you know, See, that's the majority the stream. I, I got... Yeah, and that's your old ones, right. You know. 
So yeah, and I just I don't think that there's any way to do that. Basically, and, they're not going to extend your licensing beyond that. Uh, yeah, and furthermore, a lot of those DVDs aren't necessarily something that ever got stuck into a general marketplace. It's not like a movie, you know. Movie stuff I can understand. That's why it's called movies online. But there's a whole lot more stuff that aren't movies that are on DVDs that 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 I have that are produced uh, by individual, uh, you know, uh, different enterprises that have nothing to do with the movie business. You know? Yeah. So, anyway, it's all getting to be a complicated yeah. world. It's, it's basically just a cloud-based digital locker. And Movies right. Anywhere is supported uh, with content from Walt Disney, Sony, Universal, or Warner Brothers. Okay. So as that, long as you have movies from those places, um, sure. then you can watch them through the, the Movies Anywhere interface. And they have uh, an interface for Apple TV as well as all iOS and Mac uh, and, and on a browser and Android. So, you know, mm-hmm. again, the idea is no matter where you bought it, you can watch your movies from anywhere on there. If it's from one of those four major major studios, yeah, there there should be some way to certify that my DVD is is uh, indeed original by having it online when you go. I mean, having it plugged in when you go online, so that there's the software mm-hmm. can communicate with uh, with the actual hardware to you know DVD in a in a way that it knows that it's really there and with this with this backup system that you're talking about, which is what it really is. It's just a way of. Yeah. The problem is, is that a lot of those things were not serialized. So they don't know that like you bought it and then you could go give it to Goodwill and then somebody else could buy it and then they could take it back to Goodwill and somebody else could buy it. And now three people have the movie on for paying for it once. And I understand their desire to, to, you know, say each person who's going to get this should buy it, you know? And so, I mean, they, you know, subsequently, yep. that's why they've come out with those kind of um, the the registration numbers. So when you when you get a disc and you want to, you know, stream it somewhere, you can go register the disc. But uh, uh, yeah. and that means only one person can do that. And that's fair from their perspective. And I, oh, I yeah. don't disagree yeah. with that. They should get paid for the yeah. work that they put in. Making a movie is an expensive endeavor for sure. Yeah. Uh, so um, when you're online. Are you using just primarily Safari as your browser? Yes. So am I. I've been a Safari fan for a lot of years, and there's been times when it wasn't as great as it could have been, but other times it seems to be leading in technology. And I've been reading a lot of people complaining about their their computer or their Mac working weird, and I ask them what browser they have and how many tabs they have open. And almost every time there's a problem, Chrome is their browser, and they've got more than 10 tabs open. And so some some research just came out showing that Chrome uses 10 times more RAM than Safari on Mac OS. And uh, and in fact, that's the best case scenario was it uses 10 times more RAM. The fact is, is that when you open up more tabs, it uses not just some, the equivalent of more memory, but multiples of more memory, up to 24 times as much memory used by uh, by Chrome than Safari on top of the Mac OS. And as a result, computers are slowing down, downloads are acting weird and hinky, other apps are having issues because they're having difficulty managing memory, swap files are created, computers are getting hot, fans are running, because Chrome is crap. (laughs) 
Yep. <laughs> what do you expect of Google? That's not yeah, you know, and you know why there's all that extra code in there? Because they're busy tracking you. <laughs> yeah. 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 That's yeah, why I don't do use I... this. Basically a paranoia about them tracking everywhere I go. Yeah. I, 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 only, I do have one other browser, and that's Edge, which is uh, Microsoft's new name. Right, and that, that's based on, based on Chromium, which is the same underlying code as Google Chrome. It is? Oh, God. It is. It, so it's the same underlying code, so it's probably not as efficient as Safari. But it's if you're being tracked, you're being tracked by Microsoft and not Google at that point. Well, so. I, I I had to. Uh, uh, it was it was the only browser that supposedly will work with a Union Bank account for basically paying your mortgage uh, right. payments. And uh, yeah, and that's the reason why I I would say for some people to have you know there's certainly a reason to have more than one browser, but stick with if you're on a Mac, stick with Safari primarily. Yeah. But there are certain things that just don't run quite right on Safari. Like I look in the bottom corner of um, uh, my my uh, little app bar, and I have five browsers. I have the Brave browser, which is um, a uh, it, it's available on thing, but they're uh, on a variety of platforms. But it is a um, uh, it is designed with security in mind. Brave is, is marketed as a, a more secure, we don't let anybody track you or anything. Everything that comes, everything that we send out, you have power over. You know, it gives you granular control. Um, I don't use it very often, but I have it there. I looked but, at it once and I've kept it there. Don't you think as Safari does the same? I think Safari does the same, and that's why I use Safari primarily. And so the Brave browser is there. The Brave is based on Chromium underneath. And so it does have a different rendering engine. And so to me, there's some value there. Um, then I actually have Chromium, which is the open source version of Google Chrome that's not controlled by Google. And so it doesn't have some of the bells and whistles. But again, if you have something that has to be rendered in Chrome, Chromium generally will do it, but without going through Google. And then I have Google Chrome, which I only use when I'm trying to test something and I've done some tests to see how much memory it uses and things like that, but it's just there. I don't usually have it running. And then lastly, I keep Firefox because Firefox actually doesn't, it's not based on Chromium and it's not based on WebKit, which is what is underlying Safari. So it's, it's a different rendering engine than the other two. And I have found there are some pages, you know, certain websites that you go to where you're trying to fill out a form or something. And for whatever reason, they work better on Firefox than they do the other two. And so, um, so I have all three major rendering engines represented um but primarily i stick with with safari and only go to one of the others if for some reason safari doesn't uh you know doesn't render the page quite right or doesn't look quite right and i found a few pages like there's one where you um it has to do with the uh fast track which is the toll roads here in southern california and mm -hmm. if you want to get in and look at your fast track account for whatever reason safari just won't do it and so um, I go I go to Firefox and do that there. Yeah. Well, uh, you know I can see companies ha have reasons probably for their for having just using one and not accepting others because it just costs more to be supportive of multiple systems. Uh, but uh, I'm glad it's not. Uh, 
too often that, that they demand that. I mean, I don't deal with that many businesses anymore, but when, when it comes mm -hmm. to paying your mortgage and dealing with losing your house, <laughs> if you don't get it right, then you got to yeah. do it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. If they say you got to use this browser, then fine, I'll load that browser and that, I'll use it for that and that only. <laughs> yeah. You know, and I understand that, you know, there's a lot of people. I mean, the number one browser in the world today is Google Chrome. And there's a lot of people who love using Google Chrome. And if you use the Google um, Office tools, their version of, you know, Word, Excel, and PowerPoint, their browser spreadsheet and or their spreadsheet and word processor and stuff, um, they work better in their native environment. That said, I use them in Safari and they work fine. So I will continue to use them in Safari because I don't like the idea of using Google products for anything if I can avoid it. I just don't like a company that, that you know, uses my information as their source of income. Yeah. So, but that's me. There's a lot of people who say, I don't care. They give it to me for free. I don't care. To which I would say, it's not free. You just don't see the cost. But <laughs> hey, you know. Yeah. Well, Todd, I'm getting not hungry this time because, I. by the way, I had... I, I came in here and whoofed down my breakfast because this morning I had mom and I had early dental appointments and what I learned is is that when you don't know what the dentist plans to do although this was definitely not a cleaning appointment we knew they were mm -hmm. you know, dealing with some other issues <laughs> but I was eat before you go the <laughs> got the mouth numbed and so yeah. half breakfast after was canceled <laughs> because she yeah. told me I was not to eat for 45 minutes yeah. So, uh, anyway, I had a late breakfast, and uh, so now I'm not hungry, but uh, I have other issues. So, yeah, say yep. goodbye. So, we'll call it a day. Um, thank you very much for joining us again with uh, Generation Tech. We'll be back next Monday. Have a great week. See you next week. Bye-bye.